0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docu series Black Twitter: A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter: A People's History is now streaming on Hulu.
1: Hello, Simon John. <laughs>
2: I, 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 You're I, I, early. I know. Is that okay? That's very unfortunate of you. I know. It's- <laughs> <laughs>
1: This is Code Switch. I'm Shereen Marisol Meraji, And I'm Karen grigsby Bates. And the person you just heard entering my house is award winning chef and cookbook author Samin Nasrad.
2: Do you oh want God. some coffee tea? Um, no, Empanada. I have so many liquids. Oh my God, banana? yes. Yeah. Also, can yeah. I go to the bathroom? Yeah, also, right. why is this house so cute? Oh, this all
1: the- Samin's the star of the Netflix show based on her New York Times best selling cookbook, and Salt, Salt fat, fat, Acid. Acid heat.
2: and heat to guide you to delicious food. And if for some reason a dish doesn't turn out well, it's okay. You can always try again tomorrow.
1: Come on, what's not to love about that philosophy? Shereen, that relaxed attitude kind
3: of reminds me of another beloved chef, Julia Child, although Samin started out cooking when she was a lot younger. When she was a college student, she started bussing tables at Chez Panisse, the iconic Berkeley restaurant run by the legendary Alice
1: Waters. I have yet to eat there. I lived in the Bay for many, many years. Of course, I had no money when I was there. You're young, and it's not too late. Hopefully, I have time then to eat there.
3: Yeah, and make a reservation because, you know,
1: everybody wants to eat there.
3: So Samin's career started at Chez Panisse, and it Mm -hmm. built from there. She agreed to come teach us a couple of delicious summer recipes from her New York Times article.
1: Which is called Samin Nasrat's 10 Essential Persian Recipes, and it was published in the May 14th edition of the paper. So after Samin got settled in, we took her outside to fire up the grill. Literally. That's right, because grilling intimidates the you-know-what out of me— and we have this gas grill at home that we picked up for 10 bucks at a garage sale. And I'm afraid I'm going to do something wrong and blow up the entire neighborhood. I'm embarrassed. This is very gendered and I've
2: never done this in my life. You don't life. need to be the world's gender model on all Thank things. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
3: Samin showed us how to make salad shirazi, a tasty tomato
1: and cucumber salad, and a must o kihar. I say think it's, I, I mean, I don't know how to say it. All the Persians out there are going to be so embarrassed by my pronunciation. Get it was ready. It's way easier to make than it is to pronounce.
3: <laughs> it's a yogurt based dish that's filled with herbs and is delicious. And both are perfect for hot summer days. And we grilled some chicken.
1: Because if you have a famous chef coming over and you don't know how to grill, you better take advantage and learn a thing or two about grilling. Or at least how to start the grill.
2: <laughs> Do you know how to turn it on? You push yep. it in? Yeah. And then turn it. So okay. I heard it come out. On high. Yeah,
3: yes, the right. lid. As we were That's cooking, good. she tossed in some juicy lessons
2: about it, what it, it means to cook Persian and another food. Another really, I would say herbs are probably the most important part of Iranian cooking, and they're used in many different iterations. So the simplest version of masto khiar is just yogurt, cucumber, and a little bit of dried dill. Masto khiar? Khiyar, the kh- khiar. The khiar is khiyar. the is, yo- is yogurt. And khiyar is cucumber. And now I'm just um, crumbling the dried dill into the yogurt. Oh,
1: I love dill. Oh, me too. You are Iranian. I am. But am I Iranian or am I Persian?
3: (laughs) That question came up when Samin was writing her 10 Essential Persian Recipes column for the New York Times. Here she is reading part of it.
2: Being an Iranian-American, honoring, representing, and embodying two cultures that often feel at odds with one another has always been a tightrope walk for me. This project has felt more significant and personal than any other recipe collection I've created. That's yeah, a lot. It was a lot. And actually, we've been working on this collection since December. So that's like five months, five months, I think.
3: yeah.
2: It's a long road. And the morning that it was supposed to go live on the website, my editor called like at six o'clock. And she was like, I don't know if you've seen the news, oh. but like there is like the tensions between... The US, the U.S. and Iran are um, rising right now, and so we're going to be reporting on that in the paper, and on the um, homepage of this, you know, of the paper, there's going to be this big leading story about Iran, and then there's going to be your piece. And one thing that we had talked about a lot, and I had sort of um, been really adamant about. Um, I wanted to call it Iranian recipes and I worked really hard to sort of convince everyone and it's so complicated and it's such a personal terminology. I think people choose to use those words differently. To me, I feel like often we're forced to hide behind the term Persian Mm -hmm. to create distance between like this image of what Iranians are, you know, that has been perpetuated in the media, certainly my entire lifetime, which is... One of two things, like a terrorist or Shaws of Sunset, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, so, I told <laughs> right, yeah. right, exactly. Or like some religious. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I was like, OK, I'm going to take this opportunity to try and give this word new meaning mm-hmm. and how lucky I am to have this platform. And so they were we were all on board. We had everything ready to go, everything. And so she called and she was like, I th- I think it's worth you reconsidering this because all all of us want is the for this story to do as well as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. And if those two things are right next to each other, that might not be so great for you, you know, and for the story. And so I thought about it and I was like, okay, I, I'm going to give. Like, I, I give. <laughs> like, let's let's go back to Persian.
1: And, she- and that wasn't the only tough thing about writing this column for Samin. It was also the pressure of boiling down an ancient, complex, rich, delicious cuisine into 10
2: essential recipes. I'm not an Iranian chef, like I, right? So this isn't my expertise. My, what I cook, my grandmother and mother would never recognize as Iranian food. So I took a poll of every... I sent out a survey to every Iranian, like, American food person I knew and said, what, te- what recipes would you include in this 10? And, um, and then I decided I would make it really personal and make it very much about my childhood Samin
3: Nosrat's parents are from Iran, but she grew up in San Diego, California. She writes in her column that her mom would say things like, you may attend school in America, but when you come home, you're in Iran.
1: And that meant speaking Farsi at home and going to Persian school on the weekends to learn how to read and write it. And it also meant eating Iranian food. So she chose to include some of her favorite dishes her mom made for her and her brothers.
3: Polo batariq was first on the list. Tariq is the crispy deliciousness at the bottom of the rice that you can make using just rice or by adding potatoes or bread. Tariq means bottom of the pot.
1: Also on our list is one of my personal favorites, Choresh Bademjun. It's eggplant and tomato stew. It's a summer stew. I know people don't think people should eat stews in the summer, but it is a delicious summer stew that Samin writes is, quote, particularly delicious with a piece of crunchy tarik.
2: Some of the stuff, it was the very first time I'd ever made it since my childhood. Or like, you know, and I was like, whoa, this literally tastes like my childhood. Like, we got the taste right. That was how, I knew how we did it right, was that was all I wanted, was for it to taste like my mom's food. And I knew that even though she didn't come to this country, like she kind of taught herself to cook here. It wasn't, she didn't grow up cooking. And she was just cooking toward that memory and toward that taste too, Mm. so. When you guys went to
3: school, did you bring your lunch? Mm-hmm. And if you brought your lunch, did you bring Persian Iranian food? Yeah, you not did.
2: always. I mean, we also had some PBJs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, we have these things called kotlets, which are sort of like little meatloaf patties. Mm-hmm. And I would have kotlet sandwiches or kuku sabzi, the green frittata sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. Um, she also made a lot of Iranian spaghetti, which is called espaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: the Iranian
1: spaghetti.
2: spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> So for those of you
1: listening, hoping Samin's mom's spaghetti recipe is on her 10 essential Persian recipes list, you're out of luck. (laughs) Jokes aside, though, Samin knew going into this that no matter how much research she did, no matter how much she emphasized how these recipes were from her personal experience, they were from her childhood, in the end, she'd probably disappoint some people.
2: As soon as the Iranian recipes went up, Like there was one, one person said, oh, I can't believe you didn't use duck in the fesunjun. And which is this sort of eggplant and pomegranate stew, which traditionally in northern Iran is made with duck. But my mom always made it with chicken. And my goal in these recipes was to get people to cook. And specifically, my directive from my editor was we want people anywhere in America to be able to find the ingredients for this and make it whether they have to order it online. But like you should for the most part. And I like it with chicken. And I know that in the most traditional thing, it's not made with chicken, but I chose very carefully. And I thought I wrote like a nice introduction explaining that, that this was the taste of my childhood. But, you know, the first one was like, oh, geez, I like, (laughs) where's the where's the duck? And I just, I mean, I kind of rolled my eyes at that one. And then a little while later, another one came in and I was feeling kind of salty that night. And the guy, I checked Twitter and he had said something like, oh, but she and her mother, Ruined the Tadig on the show. Oh, what a waste of saffron.
1: <laughs> are you kidding? After I watched that, I was like, thank God. The experts ruined it. So it's I hard. feel like yeah. I can do it. Totally.
2: And to me, that's a big part of my thing. Is like, everyone makes mistakes, you know.
1: And we definitely made a few mistakes okay. while we were cooking. Yeah, that can get real. Oh, these tomatoes are real mealy, huh?
2: Yeah, they weren't I mean, it's the best not, that it's they had, the but they weren't quite yet. right. Oh. were quite right we are going to do our best. onions okay, have persisted <laughs> for all
3: these years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but overall, I think what we made was really delicious. Agreed. Yeah. Salad Shirazi was cool and crunchy and garlicky. The mast o'jijar was creamy and fragrant with herbs and a little crunchy from the cucumber and a little sweet with the addition of golden raisins you to the dish. Like the nice mm, my mouth is watering just
2: thinking about that. This looks good. Is that looks good? good, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, you can sweep that all into the yogurt. Okay. And then it's like taste- Pretty good to me. We if we, we haven't s- tasted yet. Oh, I tasted it. When oh, you tasted.
1: Taste. <laughs> oh, I haven't tasted.
2: <laughs> yeah, stirred it and tasted. You, taste.
1: you like sneaky taste? I did it.
3: sneaky taste. Coming up, we're going to ask the question we know has been on everyone's mind.
1: Okay, if you were on a deserted island uh-huh, uh-huh. and you only had one type of cuisine. You have time to place your bets on Samin's favorite food, the type of food that she'd eat every single day if she was alone on an island, because it's time for a break. Stay with us.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu.
3: Mitch McConnell has become a champion for conservatives. But back in the day, he once got support from
2: groups like labor unions. i mark marked it down as one of the worst things I've ever done in my life. So
3: you thought about it over the years? Oh, I still think about it. Every time I see his face.
2: Mitch McConnell, a new series from Embedded. Subscribe now.
1: Shereen. Karen. Code switch. And we're back with some hard-hitting questions for James Beard award-winning chef.
2: Samin Nasrat from Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat.
1: Okay, if you were on a deserted island Uh uh and you only had one type of cuisine to eat... Mexican
2: food. (laughs) Why? Because, okay, I... I'm a sucker for all of the sauces. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want something with one million condiments. You can have all your, and you construct the perfect bite every time. I'm like, I can have all of the tacos. I can have the tortillas. I can have the tamales. I can have the juices. I can have the sauces. I can have all of the things. And it tastes so fresh and so good, and I'm so happy.
3: <laughs> and we found out she likes summer food better than winter food. Yeah.
2: Me too. I love it. I love, I, I mean, the other thing I love in the summer is just eating, like, A piece of toast with mayonnaise and a tomato on it, or like the simplest. It's so hot, and you're like, I just want to eat cucumbers and hummus for dinner, or like popcorn and and like a hibiscus tea. Yes.
3: (laughs) And because we're hard-hitting investigative journalists, we wanted to know
2: (laughs) favorite meat to cook chicken. I just really? love chicken so much. Yeah. I love it. I know it's not like cool and trendy. <laughs> I just love chicken. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it.
3: And Simeon didn't just tell us how much she loved chicken. She showed us some tips for how to grill a delicious piece of poultry. We were using super thinly sliced breast cutlets.
2: So because it's thin, it means it's going to cook quickly. Okay. And that's another important reason to have a very hot and well prepared grill. Yep. Because if the grill's not hot, then we're gonna throw this on there and then the outside's gonna, like, the, it'll start cooking and it'll cook all the way through before it has a chance to brown. Okay. But since it's hot, it'll start browning immediately. Oh, good. So okay. so when meat goes down on a grill, yep. two things. One, you wanna put it presentation side first. Oh. So which means this doesn't have skin, but if it did have skin, the skin, skin you would serve. So you do skin first. Skin down first. Skin down first. Okay. And secondly, you're not going to move. It's going to start sticking, so you don't want to move it too okay. much. Okay. So you, you put it down, and you let it go.
3: One thing Samin's learning to let go of is the idea that she alone has to be the face of her culture.
1: One, one other thing, I just I wanted to dig in a little bit more to what you were saying about representation and being the person.
2: I think about trying my best to convey in every word and action that I'm only representing me. But it doesn't matter what I say, you know, because people are going to perceive what they want to perceive. A lot of the time, the like sort of upset or frustrated feedback that I might get from the people who feel that I'm representing them, it's... I mean, they don't know any better other than to aim it at me. (laughs) And it's because, like, they've only been given a few crumbs, like, by a white supremacist system that doesn't let anybody have, you know, and I I keep thinking the example I always use is this joke of, like, true diversity is not when there's, like, the excellent black person, the excellent Iranian chef or whatever. It's when there's, like, as much black and brown and queer and whatever, like, non-traditional mediocrity... (laughs) <laughs> as there is white mediocrity, like I'm you know, I'm just like there should just be as many voices as possible, so i don't I don't know what to do, you know, to fight against like the pressure that I feel, other than to try to like increase the general like right to bring other people up as quickly as possible. I don't want to be the only one, but mm.
1: I, I bet there are I wonder if there are people out there who are like, yeah. I would love to bring everyone up, but it's kind of nice being the one that's in the spotlight.
2: <laughs> yeah, I get, I'm right? sure, I'm sure that that's something that people feel. And another thing I'm always really clear about too, is it's not like I'm like some deeply evolved person who like, you know, like was like created being like, I'm going to help others or whatever. Like I am the children of immigrants in our family and certainly and like what I understand our culture and just like our circumstances hoarding. (laughs) Hoarding is a big part of like what I understood, right? Like we had a garage filled with food in case we have like more bags of rice. Like we had, you know, like you didn't trust systems. You didn't trust that you were ever going to be given another opportunity or you never knew where the next meal was going to come from, or you never knew the next stuff. So you always prepared because you couldn't trust that you would be taken care of. Like a little bit after when I started interning at Chez Panisse and was vying so hard to get even just a, a, like unpaid internship that maybe one day would turn into a paid job another Iranian started showing up and I was like oh no you don't <laughs> I was like you and I were so competitive with her you know and she had no des- she was just sort of helping out she had no desire to work there but I just like my insecurity was like oh there's only room for one of us here like everyone else doesn't look like us so they're only gonna let me or you so I just was I was like, I can't possibly be nice to you. You know, and now in my head, I had a voodoo doll of her. Like, <laughs> in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, of course, my natural instincts are keep, 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 hoard, 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 protect, protect, protect. I just have to take a minute to be like, okay, maybe I don't, this time I don't have to.
1: What about the other pushback? Because now that you're out there and you're Iranian and we know that Iran. It's constantly in the news. And you said that before. The only representation of Iranians is that we're terrorists or, you know, we're trying to so far, have yeah.
2: nuclear weapons. Um, yeah. So far. I mean, when I was in second grade, I was called a terrorist. Oh, yeah. Me yeah. Too. <laughs> 11. yeah, yeah oh, this was before, the way before 80s, that. This was like iranian Iran Contra affair time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was like, what's a terrorist? <laughs> I was like, I'm just a second grader. Yeah. And then, um, you know the day after 911 i got spit on on the street in berkeley like uh in berkeley yeah yeah and you know and i was really worried for my like the men in my family in particular like just because you know and um Yeah, I actually remember my first instinct, my first, like, feeling and thought that I had when I heard about the, like, airplanes crashing was, like, please don't be Iran, please don't be Iran. I will say in a very... I Maybe I'm very sheltered by the people around me and the publicists and whoever. I haven't gotten much direct, sort of, or really any direct negative feedback about being Iranian. You know, I will say the pitch, which was also sort of like an audition for the show... Um, Halloween of 2016 was October 30th 2016 Mm -hmm. and I came down to LA and we we like pitched to the Netflix executives and they very immediately wanted it and so we heard back within like a week and a half that they were really interested and that was two days after the election and I was like in bed you know like I couldn't get out of bed I was so depressed and I got this news which in some ways was like the best professional news I'd ever received and I just remembered thinking, also because my original plan for this show is we would film the acid episode in Iran, mm. and uh, and I just remember thinking like, what would it mean for me to be a public person when this is what the public wants, you know? And I was like, do I want to put myself in that position, and I, like being wearing a hijab and speaking Farsi on international television? And in the end, I decided I did want to do it. And in the end, we actually planned to go to Iran and we had a whole episode ready to go. And then a couple of days before we left, some things changed, like politically and the State Department withdrew their recommendation. So I just felt like I didn't want to put my crew in any sort of feeling of being, uns- even though probably we would have been fine, like. I just didn't want to risk that, so we scrapped it and went to Mexico instead. Which also I love.
1: It so was much. amazing, yeah. It was a delicious. Episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 Sour oranges yeah. for the win. Yeah,
2: and we were gonna do and sour oranges, you know, come from Iran, and we that was an ingredient we had researched a lot. So it was kind of this beautiful pivot that we could go to Mexico and still do the same ingredient. So that was cool.
3: Do you yeah. ever experience imposter syndrome all Are the time? Twenty four seven.
2: Do you? Really oh, twenty four seven. Totally. Like I'm. And even and as the opportunities or like the responsibilities get bigger too, and because people are like, look what you've done. We we believe in you. You can do so much more. And I'm like, I don't. Are you sh-? like? I'm I'm like. When are you gonna realize like I'm just a dork? You know who like I don't know likes macaroni and cheese or I don't know. Like I do you really? And I'm and so oftentimes like I'll stop meetings and I'll be like I just don't think I can do this. Like I don't know if you see that. Like I. And, there, and a lot of times now, the answer is, actually, we we chose you because of everything that you've done. And you've proven that you can already do this. And now you don't have to do it alone anymore. And we're going to help you. We're going to give you the resources and stuff. So, But I'm always like, oh, yeah, this is complete, like, sham.
1: <laughs> Karen, I don't know about you, but I find it comforting that not only did she mess up the Tariq, but... Even this beloved Netflix star, guru of food. Am I allowed to say that? No, I'm not, because we did a Code Switch episode on that Word award watch. watch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the Samin gets imposter syndrome. Yeah, I am i don't know.
3: Some of the most talented people do. And even though I know that, Shireen, it's always a surprise to hear it. I mean, this woman's cookbook got every meaningful award there was to get last year. Samin,
1: so, I mean, you're a winner
2: hmm
3: Not that you need our validation or anything.
1: Oh, there's one last hardball question, so listeners, don't worry. I did ask the question that I assume was on everybody's mind. What about favorite fast food? Do you ever eat fast food?
2: Yeah, I um. Well, I grew up eating a lot of In-N-Out. Yeah. I like an In-N-Out, but I eat the grilled cheese now. That's okay. my favorite. Yeah. Um, And I also, but then I was like, you guys, I've heard about Popeye's chicken being so good, but I've never had it. So we went to Popeye's chicken in New York and it was so good. It was also the saltiest meal I've ever had. Really? It was so salty. I had a headache for a while after, but it was really delicious.
3: (laughs) So there you have it. If you can't grill your own chicken with fresh sauces this summer, go to Popeye's. You heard it here first.
1: And that's our show. The two New York Times cooking recipes Samin talked about will be linked to on our website until June 12th. So you better go and check it out right now. And make sure to check out Samin's
3: spread in the New York Times. It's called Samin Nasrat's 10 Essential Persian
1: Recipes. This episode was produced by Kumari Devarajan and Leah Danella. It was edited by Leah Danella with help from yours truly, and we had audio production support from Patrick Murray. Thanks, Patrick. Shout out to the rest of the Code Switch fam Gene Demby,
3: Adrian Florido, Kat Chow, Maria Paz Gutierrez, Sammy Yenigan, and L.A. Johnson. Our interns are Jess Kung and Michael Paulino.
1: Please follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Codeswitch. And we want to hear from you. Our email is codeswitch at npr.org. Sign up for our newsletter that Karen Grigsby-Bates writes every week. And it's fabulous at npr.org slash newsletter slash codeswitch. And subscribe to the podcast on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Jean will be back next week. I'm Karen Grigsby-Bates. And I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. See ya. Peace.
0: I'm Jesse Thorne. Timothy Simons played Jonah Ryan on HBO's Veep. On a show known for its insults, has anybody gotten more of them than Jonah? If the cruelty registered, our show would be an hour and 15 minutes long because every scene would be like, excuse me, you can't speak to me that way. This week on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch.